Psalm 127 is called in the superscription a psalm of degrees. And while Bible scholars differ on what that means, uh, it would mean something that the Holy Spirit would not have recorded it for us. Most agree that it, the, there are 15 psalms with this designation, Psalm 120 through 134 and Psalm 119 to 133. There are 15 of them. Some have surmised that it was the songs the Levites would sing on the various steps as they would go up to the temple, the 15 steps, but there's no indication how many steps there were at the temple, and so that doesn't really ring true or sound exactly right. Most probably it was the songs of descent. They were sung by worshipers as they ascended to the road up to Jerusalem. They were certain songs that they would sing in celebration of anticipation of going to the Lord's house. The three uh, pilgrim festivals that were held each year and uh, all Jewish males were required to go and often the families would go. And uh, we get a snapshot into that when Mary and Joseph came when Jesus was a boy. Remember when they, they traveled with the groups, they would come by foot. Uh, families would travel together. And they would sing the closer they would get to Jerusalem, different hymns, and this was probably one of those songs. Its theme is the family. And so the house being built here is a spiritual house. It's a family household. It's it's not a building. We often refer to our, our household. We see that throughout the Scripture. I want you to keep that in mind, even though the Holy Spirit is painting for us, uh, using the building analogy, which he often does when he's speaking of the body of, the f- body of Christ and also of our own households. The description or word picture of, of building a household is very instructive, isn't it? Uh, as a boy, I was just absolutely enthralled with houses and building houses and blueprints. And uh, I, there was an elderly gentleman, and it was a friend of our family who was a contractor. He would often take me. Uh, he was here, lived here in Birmingham, and he would bring me to the building sites. I remember when they were building the homes in Bluff Park and uh, various areas uh, down, south, down Shadescrest Road. And he would go to the building sites to inspect what they were doing, and he would spread out the blueprints, and he would let me see them and explain them to, to me. And my favorite things were he would often give me blueprints. And uh, that, some boys collected, uh, uh, you know, cards, baseball cards. I collected blueprints and that kind of thing. Uh, I, as I got older, I helped, build, helped my brother build a house. And, uh, and then we had the, the privilege or the whatever you want to call it of, remodeling uh, houses, and finally, one day, Kathy, when our house was destroyed two years ago in the storm, she said, could we have a new house, a newer house? We'd always lived in these 100-year-old houses, and I said, sure, darling, and so we got a house that's 50 years old instead of 100 years old. When a building a house, you must have, first of all, you must have plans, blueprints, measurements, guidelines, specifics. You don't just say we're going to build a house. Now, that house that we were restored was two two-room houses put together in the early 1890s and with a with a hall down the middle what they called a dog trot and uh, you can still see the beam in the in the this irregular beam that just ran down the middle of the house which used to be the dog trot you know that was a, a hallway a breezeway between the two two-room houses and then they came and put a porch all around it and then they decided they'd put an upstairs on it and then the, the icing on the cake, they stuck a little balcony on the top of it. 
And at some point, they decided they needed an upstairs bathroom. And so there was this little thing hanging off the back of the house that was the bathroom. It was one of those houses, you had to be crazy to want it. And you had to have a certain amount of, of, of something to, to want to even take, take on something like that. But uh, they obviously did not have plans or blueprints. when they, I, I take, That should be the plan. You should not build a house uh, without one or a building. In our building of our household, the Bible is our blueprint. God has not left us just to, to go it along and not know what to do. I'm always amazed at God's people who seem to be uh, defenseless and uh, as they don't know what to do or where to go. And God has given us all we need to know that pertains to life and godliness. And I'm convinced every part of life, including the rearing of children. We are reminded back in... In Deuteronomy chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, but this was the theme of Israel. This was Jehovah's mandate to his people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. That was his instruction to all of his people. And then he gets down to specifics. And these words which I command thee this day, speaking of all the law that he just given them, shall be in thine heart, not just a list of things, a checklist. This word will be a part of your inner being. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. That's a whole lot more than just being at temple or synagogue or in the Lord's house. That's every day, all day, as you go about your business. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thine house and on thy gates. Now, the Jews, and I'm not criticizing here, but took it literally, and they did, buy, they did put it, there, was a, there would be a, this portion of Scripture would be on their doorpost. They would touch it as they left the house. Uh, it was be over the, the lintel of the, the doorpost. And in, in fact, by the time of Jesus' day, if you see in certain parts of England and even New York and all, you'll see the uh, certain group of Jews that actually wear the phylacteries, the little wooden um, leather boxes of Scripture on their uh, wrist and tied around their uh, forehead, and they can look up and see the Scripture up in it. Now, that's not what the Lord had in mind. We often take the instructions of the Lord and make them into something other than what he intended. The word of God was to be a rule, but it was to be a, a, a guiding philosophy of life, not a decoration, not just something we tack up, something we keep before us and ever remind ourselves of, of the Lord's ways. The Bible is our blueprint in this building the, the architect is God. He knows what he has in mind, doesn't he? He knows the end result. He knows the ingredients. He knows what it takes to build a house. Now, there was a time when you could order a house from Sears and Roebuck. Did you know that? There, there's a whole category of houses called the Sears and Roebuck houses. I've always, down in my, my uh, thoughts, have wondered if the house next door was not one. You could order, and on a train would come every nail piece of glass, uh, every shingle, uh, all the mortar, all that would go into the building of a house, and the plans, not, like, not unlike building a model, and exactly what to do and how to build them. 
and uh, you had, could follow the recipe exactly, and you'd get what was in the picture that you saw in the catalog. If you didn't, of course, that's another story. You know, but they would give you, theoretically, everything you needed to build the house like you saw Model B or Model C or whatever it was in the catalog. Some architect had sat down and some contractor had got with him. They'd figured it out. They had they'd built one and then they re- reproduced that and they would, you could order one and you could build one from a package. Well, the Bible tells us that God's word is sufficient for all that God is building. He doesn't build anything apart from his word. How dare we to go off, go rogue and decide I'll do it my way when God has said, no, this is how you're to build my church. I will build my church, but this is how you ought to behave in the house of God. We have a whole generation of, of church now that, that, that does not take that in consideration. But God has spoken, and he's given us uh, the apostles' doctrine. He's given us the scripture to tell us how he wants his church to be. And the same is true in our homes and our marriages that we're seeing here uh, as we study what God has spoken about the home. Remember, God's word is, is described as being profitable. Uh, it will do all it says it will do if we follow directions. My wife tells me that while I might follow my own recipes in the savory dishes, that in baking you cannot do that. You have to go by the recipe, to which I always ask why. And she always says, well, do you want it to taste like what the box says it will taste like? You have to do exactly the amount of baking soda. You can't just say this, you know, or that. And get something that tastes like something that people want to eat. So needless to say, I don't bake a whole lot. I I think I made one cake. And she was right. (laughs) You got to go by the recipe. Obviously, that one wasn't what what it was supposed to be. It's profitable, the Word of God is. It's for doctrine. Everything we're to believe is given to us here. We don't have to wonder about, we don't have to wake up tomorrow morning and say, I wonder what we should believe about the Lord or his presence or his attributes or whatever. He's already told us, this is who I am. This is what I am. This is how things are. It's what we're to teach. Everything we're to teach our children is given to us in the word of God. It is uh, uh, absolutely uh, all we need for reproof and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. Do we need to be corrected? Do we need to be rebuked? The Word of God has an answer for uh, every sin, every situation that needs to be corrected in my life. And that the man of God or the person of God may be truly furnished uh, and are equipped, the Bible tells us. Not only do we, we have the resembling here of a, of a, of a building a house, the, the plans, but we have a place now, you, you have to have a place if you're going to build a house. You just can't say, you don't drop the plans and get all the stuff and just, there's got to be a place to put it. And the, the, the location. And every godly family should be placed in a spiritual household. The household, not only their own home, but a household, a church family. This is the way God has designed it. This is part of God's blueprint for the home. And I'm so glad that I was reared in that, that way. My, all my earliest memories are of the Lord's house, of uh, being around God's people, of being in the little sweet singers and singing in the little choir. Uh, I have some very vivid memories from uh, Miss Jackie Spiller leading the choir and me singing loud. And I saw what the words were, but they weren't what the words were. 
they shouldn't have been said in church. <laughs> and uh, I, if you go back to my church I was raised, people will still tell you about that. Uh, but I, I, that's all I knew is the Lord's work in Sunday school and youth group and choir and all those things. My mother, uh, my father was not a believer, but my mother did not ask us or take a vote about what we were going to do when Sunday came or when there was something that would further our faith or equip us. It was just taken for granted that I was going to be a part of it somehow or another. Uh, and that, you know, I never, that was never, that was my life. My friends, my family, uh, everything precious to me uh, was centered around the Lord's house. I'm glad that's the way I was raised. I cannot imagine it any other way. Now, there's some people who, who have negative views of that. And uh, even though the particular church that in my early days was not everything it should have been doctrinally. It was a safe haven. They were loving people, and I learned so much. So much was instilled into me. And then as I grew in the faith and came to know the Lord, and, and the Lord placed me in, in, God, in congregations where the Word of God was supreme, I'm indebted. Everything I, I am, I owe to the Lord's people and to the Lord's house. To build a, a house, we must have proper tools. You don't just, I mean... You have to have specific tools to, to do the, the, the different stages of the house, from the clearing of the lot to the, uh, the digging of the footings uh, to the foundation to the framing to the finishing. All take certain and specific tools. You don't use a butter knife. Uh, well, some people may try to as a screwdriver, but, I mean, there's a tool made for that, you know, and you must have the right tools to do it. To build children, you need tools, don't you? You need love and prayer and discipline and provisions, physical provisions and, and, and emotional provisions. It takes time. It, it takes patience and firmness and common sense and a wagon load of godly wisdom to do it. It, it takes labor. I mean, building a house, I've mentioned my own uh, limited experience, but it's hard work uh, uh, to build a house. And to build a home, it takes hard work too. Routine and intentional teaching Leaving an example, it may take four to six months to build a, a regular house, but it takes a lifetime of commitment, and the work is never done until that soul is taken into glory uh, to, to build a family. It takes maintenance. Now, some people talk about a maintenance-free house. There were five of us. I was thinking this morning, my, my father was from a family of ten. My mother was from a family of nine. So you can imagine all of that larger family than that were five in our family and their cousins and and aunts and uncles and and, and all that goes with that on the the lamb side and the o'neill side and the mayos the, all the the relatives that that that, that i had and uh, i i think about all the my, my, my daddy used to say because there were three of us boys my oldest and the youngest was a girl but we were all rough and uh, rough and tumble and he used to say he was just going to build a concrete bunker with just a drain in the middle of it and just so you could just hose it down every day. <laughs> that would be the best way to do it, you know, because of all the, the spilling and all the, the, the and, and nothing in there that could be broken, you know, like a, I guess a Fred Flintstone house is what he, what he had in mind. But it takes, there's no, there's no maintenance-free family. Have you noticed that? There's no, uh, I, I think some people have weird and warped opinions about children and, and how they, they come into this world. I'll tell you how they come. They come warped. They come uh, as sinners, and they come programmed. They're not a blank slate, as some uh, people would tell you. They're not. They come with their own agenda. And it, after a while, it comes out, doesn't it? You see it. It's there. 
And uh, it has to, to be refined. It has to be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ lovingly and carefully. And it takes refinishing, reworking, repairing, uh, care. And, and so it's the same with the family. But I want us to notice this portion of Scripture here that introduces this section of our teaching on uh, children. Uh, we notice, first of all, there are five things I want us to see here quickly. We have a, a precept in verse 1. We have a, a proposition in verse 2. We have a privilege given to us in verse uh, 3, a picture drawn for us in verse 4, and a promise given to us in verse 5. A precept, a proposition, a, a privilege, a picture, and a promise. Now, I'm not real big on alliteration, but that just came to me, and I was very proud of that, so I want you all to write that down. <laughs> you don't get that much. One lady who visited our church, she said, you're hard to follow. <laughs> and she said, I like your preaching, but you're just hard to follow. I think she meant that I didn't say, now, number one, number two, my thoughts are, are logical to me. They may not be to you, but I thought, hey, those are all P's, and so you are, that's as close to an evangelist outline that you'll get from, from me. First of all, the precept there in verse one, except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Twice, you, always when you hear rep, rep, repetitive words, vain, you see vain in that, that, twice in that sentence. And so the Holy Spirit has every word in the language available to him. If he chooses to use the same one twice, he has a purpose for it, doesn't he? If there wasn't a better one to use. Vain is worthless. It's a zero with the edges rubbed out. It's nothing. It's what rocks think about. It's nothing. It's vain. It's empty. Each one of these verses sound as if they could come out of the Proverbs. In fact, if Solomon is the human author, he it reminds us of his Proverbs where every verse here, every part of the verse could be a precept or a proverb that you would find in the book of Proverbs. For example, in Proverbs 14, verse 1, every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hand. Now, that, what a comical picture that is. Can you imagine riding by a building site and the husband's out there building and he's just put on all the windows and then you come back by and his wife's out there just throwing rocks and breaking all the windows or pulling the shingles off and then taking the doorknobs off and just ransacking. And that's, that's, that's a horrible picture, isn't it? But that's what the Holy Spirit's trying to get across to us. We can do that kind of thing by our actions or inactions and the results will be a disaster. Notice the word begins, the, the verse begins with accept. This is a warning. Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. We, we, Jesus told those people that day. This except means you better stop and take notice about what I'm saying because the, the cost is high and the, 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 the ramifications are eternal. Except. Except. We have a condition here. A, a paraphrase would be you're wasting your time working on a family or trying to build a family that will truly honor and glorify the Lord if you leave the Lord out of the process. How do we leave the Lord out of the process? There are those who try to do this and they're what you call in the South, in church, I hear that all the time. They're in church or I don't know what all that means, but I guess they're, they're at least going through the outward motions of coming to a, a building and, and meeting with people. But you can go through all the motions and leave the Lord out of it. I don't care what you put over the top of it, what name you carry, what Bible. There are people who carry the King James Version of the Bible everywhere they go and will, you know, vouch for it. There are people who know 
verses and all, but don't live it, don't know it, don't, don't put it into practice in their life, except the Lord build the house. You're laboring in vain that build it. I meant to tell you at the beginning of this message, I'm going to be very pastoral tonight, okay? You know what that means? That means a father talking to his children. And uh, when I do that, I never preach ever. The Lord knows my heart. I never preach because somebody needs this message. I've always found the ones who need the message I'm preaching don't come that particular meeting, okay? So I never do that. If you, if you, if you preach like that, the people would never get it that needed it anyway. I, and I've heard some preach. I'm going to preach to my people, Brother Lamb, this week, and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell them. And they said, I said, well, you know what? They probably, the ones who need it won't be there. So save it, you know, and just give it out in little bits as they come if you're going to do that. But uh, I'm, my heart is pastoral tonight. I'm going to say some very plain uh, things on the bottom shelf. You won't need a concordance or anything dictionary to, to figure it out. I'm amazed that, that professing Christians don't consult the Word in raising their children. And we're living in a day where society's voice is so loud and so opinionated that Christians feel intimidated about every area of their lives. And so they uh, seem somewhat apologetic for what the Lord declares in neon letters and in, in boxcar letters of what to do and how to do it. Now, but please don't misunderstand me. There is no formula that says that you be 100% successful in doing this. There's not. And I want you to know, even the most quoted verse about child rearing, and I, I, I probably should, we should have a lesson to study just on that verse, that's most quoted uh, is trying to put a child in the way he should go when he's old and not depart from it. And uh, there's several things. I, I hear people talk about that. I, I trained my child the way they should go, and they, and they did depart from it like it was God's fault. I did everything I was supposed to do. And it didn't work out. But there's several things about that verse, and I won't rabbit trail too much, but that phrase, the way he should go, is the key to the whole language, the whole verse. And that means not just in the way that the Scripture is the list of things of how a child should act and behave, but taking in consideration that child's bent. Every child is bent. They're warped. I've already said that. And I know that may not be very complimentary, and you may take issue with your precious little chair of not being that way, but they have a bent. They're going in a certain direction. Um, there's a whole science of espaliering trees. Have you ever seen them? You can make a tree, uh, shape it and form it and make it grow up against the wall and it spread out its, uh, its limbs, and they're just amazing how, how that can be done. Uh, and fruit, certain apple trees and fruit trees and other trees. The French um, have perfected it. But the, every tree will grow in a certain direction. I often pass by, and I've got one in my yard, a fruit tree that, that we planted, and it's going like that. You know what needs to be done? It's got its own decision how it wants to go. I don't want it to look like that, so what have I got to do? I've got to go get some rope or something and a stob and, and tack it and pull it back that direction because it's bent you must consider the bent of the child in raising them they have a personality they have their own dna that you'll find you think <laughs> but be careful here 
I used to say, and I can, I'm just, the only family I know a whole lot about is mine. I would, I would say to my wife, if one of them did something, that's the Lagrand coming out in them. You know how it is? Uh, or she'd say, that's, that's the lambs right there. <laughs> no doubt about it, you know. And then we'd go back even generations to the Mayos, the Johnsons, and the Hicks, and the rest of them, that, that they, had, they inherited certain proclivities from them. Well, there are believers who, who act like they know more about child-rearing than God does. And what a sad thing that is. They, for, you know, I, there's a whole generation you hear that, uh, and I have to be careful. I know what I'm saying here, and I, because some people take things in the wrong way. But I'm, I'm grieved that there's a generation of young, uh, seemingly young people, there may have been old people as well, who... Uh, are against using corporal punishment. And again, I know when I say that, that people's mind automatically goes to to the worst. And and anything that God says is right can be abused. We know that. And that's not what I'm talking about. And uh, let me just say here, this is... this. Message is not about that, but that should not even, is not even the first line of what you do as a parent in rearing children. That's not the first line that the Lord uses with us, is it? What does he first use? He uses his word, doesn't he? He, he uses his word to correct us. And so should we as parents, we should emulate our Lord in our, in our parenting. I, I never will forget. And uh, I guess being a principal for 19 years uh, was a very good training in how to... to, to uh, and I, I, I praise the Lord that in our, my own experience, he allowed me to teach. Kathy and I taught for two years before our first child was born. So we had a little bit of experience and then being an experience as a principal. But I never forget a couple in my office several years ago. And they had a young man that was headed in the absolute wrong way. And uh, we'd done everything and, and we're pulling our hair out over him. And I remember just appealing to them. And uh, I, I never forget the father looking at me. And this was... Uh, uh, a family who was very strict in uh, so many ways, but uh, it was kind of unusual because the father said, you know, Brother Lamb, I know what needs to be done uh, to, 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 within this boy's life. And this is the exact words he said, but my wife won't let me do it. Well, there are a lot of problems right there, you know, but that's exactly what he said. And he said uh, he needs to be disciplined uh, and he needs to, to be disciplined biblically, but she is absolutely in opposition to it. And uh, she immediately spoke up. I never forget. She immediately spoke up and said, we are educated. We have been to college. She went down the, the litany of all the what they had done and been, and I knew it, you know. I don't know who she was saying it for. They knew it, and I knew it. And she said, we, are, uh, we're, we're, we know better than that. I never forget thinking, you know, you know better than God. You're a better parent than, than God is and, and would be. And I never forget saying, the Lord just brought the boldness in my mind to, to quote a verse. You know, some, sometimes the only thing that, that makes any sense is the Word of God. And I remember saying, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And, and as, you, as you probably well know, that story did not have a happy ending. Uh, the child brought absolute horrible heartache to, to its parents and everybody else that got in, in his path. The Bible tells us that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And, and the word foolishness there is not acting like a clown. 
uh, it, there's another English word that, from it that, that it, it can mean silliness or inaneness, but it can go from anything to absolute senselessness, silliness. And the other end of that is perverseness. Do you see that same Hebrew word has such a realm of meaning from, meaning from silliness to perverseness? And the scripture tells us it's bound. When you bind something, it's tied. It's bound in the heart of the child. But you know what the Bible says about that? Foolishness is bound or tied into the DNA of the personality of the child. But what is God's prescription? The rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 9, 1, buildeth wisdom, hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. And it goes on to speak of reproving the scorner and instructing the simple and forsaking the foolish and instructing the wise. And then in verse 10 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. Now, remember, folks, that while you and I are not, God is a perfect father. He's a perfect picture of what a father should be. We are not perfect parents and did not have perfect parents, but God is. And so when he speaks as a parent, he always speaks with absolute authority and perfection. And he, in every way, he's the perfect father. And I want you to know that, that God the Father disciplines his children. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son? Despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chastens and scourgeth. What a strong word that is. You go look it up. He scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? The writer of Hebrews is asking, what parent does not chasten his children? I want to answer this day and time. A whole lot of them don't. But if you be without chastisement from God as a spiritual child, where we're all partakers, then you're bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we... We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits, the Father of souls, who, by the way, has said, all souls are mine, and live? For they verily, for a few days, or just for this life, chastened us after their own pleasure. They may have done it right, or they may have done it wrong. The Hebrew, writer of Hebrews is not saying they were perfect parents, but our fathers did correct us. But he for our profit, always for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yielded, yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And I just use that portion of Scripture in case some of you young parents are wondering. The Scripture does teach it, and it takes great wisdom. It takes the wisdom of the Lord. And every child is different. You don't do exactly for every child. I personally believe that if it is used effectively in the youngest days, by the time the child starts school and gets older, that it will have to be used less and less and less until the Word alone in the, uh, will, will do the work. Someone has said, we may spoil. That word spoil means ruin. We may spoil our children, but our Heavenly Father never does His. 
Please don't leave God out. What does the, the, the first precept tell us? Except the Lord build a house. If you leave him out, you'll labor in vain. You're, you're doing it for nothing. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Don't turn from his plan, his word. You leave his wisdom out and you're building a house for nothing. It's on sinking sand and the storm will, will wash it away one day. Not only do we have a precept in verse 1, but in verse 2 we have a proposition. Verse 2 tells us it is vain. We, we see that word again. That's the third time. Are you counting? <laughs> so the Holy Spirit who has all vocabulary available to him, if I were writing it, you know, my... my uh, English 101 teacher said, don't use the same word twice. Use another word. I guess not the articles and the conjunctions, but descriptive words. Once you've used one, don't use it again. And so that's just a law of writing. Use something else. Get a thesaurus. Look in the dictionary. But when the Holy Spirit does it, it's not because he can't think of something else to say. He's reiterating to us how empty and foolish and inane it is to leave God out. So we have this proposition for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Now, there's a lot in that verse, and I can tell that it's going to take me more than one Sunday night to unpack Psalm 127. Okay, is that all right with you? Will you, will you bear with me? Uh, but in the latter part of that verse, I know you're not supposed to take things out of context, and, and you shouldn't take things out of context, okay? <laughs> Ever. But I quote that latter part of that verse every night when I can't sleep. Lord, you, you give your beloved sleep. I claim it as a part of my going to bed process. And I've never had trouble going to sleep. I don't. You can ask my wife. She can, she can be talking to me and telling me who said what and when and where and how and what Lydia did and what Mary Catherine did. And I'm just gone and she said are you asleep <laughs> i'm trying to <laughs> if you leave me alone i will be <laughs> but uh, you know i don't know why she used to get on to me when our children would come in the whole time they were home and they'll tell you they'll smile when i say this when it gets to go into bedtime i go to bed i don't care if the president of the united states if queen elizabeth was sitting in our living room i would say you know god bless you you can have anything in the refrigerator you want you can have anything in the house i'm going to bed now that's just i, I start wilting like the the witch and the wizard of oz i start melting and so i go to bed our children would come in it somehow or another this is the grand side of them they get it from their mother they want to come talk and they lay across our bed and talk this is what i'm talking about when they you know little kids and then even up through teenagers till they went off to college and I, and I would get so weary because I was ready to go to bed. And so we would talk about the things of the day and all. So I don't know why bed, the bed had to be Grand Central, but it, but it was. And, and I love my bed. That's, that's something about it. And so I'd get kind of weary, and she'd, she'd always rebuke me and say, you know, they're talking. They're talking to you. They're wanting to talk to you. If you were a wise man, you would listen because you're not having to ask as a prosecuting attorney. They're pouring their hearts out. Listen to them. And so I had to learn to, to put my, my desire to go to bed on, on the back burner and, and to listen. But we have this proposition. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That is a verse to live by. I have a... One of these days, I'm going to preach a series of messages on the verses I live by. 
are the verses that have absolutely navigated and do navigate me through the, the shows of life. I thank the Lord, and I don't say this out of pride or vainglory. The Lord knows my heart that I'm so glad that somebody, I know it was the Holy Spirit, emblazoned this principle into my heart and mind as a youth to seek first the kingdom of God. That's, that's a rule of thumb in our home. Not because we're anything, but uh, that verse absolutely guides the way we do things. Not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And my wife and my children know that that is the bedrock of how we do business. The Lord's work, the Lord comes first. Now, I have to be careful here because some people will, will think that you take that to the extent that your, your family doesn't have a place. And I don't mean that at all. But, and it will take me some while, I'm sure, to describe this in the language that I want to use. But seeking first the kingdom of God. This is seeking him with all of our heart. We're just saying, you know, as a, a deer planted, planted for... Was that the song we sang? The, the song that they just talked about, we when we were singing praise to the Lord there, that it, it shows the desire of seeking after the Lord and, and His righteousness. I have found, as a husband and as a father, that if I put the Lord's priorities in the first priority, that everything else my heart longs for, for my family, my children, He will fill in. And so, I don't know if this is an accurate way of praying, but I prayed early on, Lord, if, as I take care of the business, your business as you've given to me, would you take care of mine? Would you give me sense enough to know how to love my children and my wife and to not let them suffer because of what I do for you? But I have found that most often than not, that's how the parents approach it. If we taught our children that the Lord's work is honorable and glorious and that all he asks us to do is no sacrifice. It is a joy to put him first. And one of those things of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that I learned from my own parents in the precept is the Lord's day. Now, I know that living for the Lord is not just on Sunday. It's a 24-hour, it's a seven-day-a-week proposition. But the Lord, in his precepts, has given us these landmarks, these navigation posts to help us to carry those things out. And he says as a, as a creative uh, direction to his people. Six days shall you do everything. Six days are yours to work and to do all that you're to do. The seventh should be set apart as a sacred thing to me. And the way we go about that and the way we live that out before our children makes all the difference in the world. We can say we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How do you go about that? It is in your heart, and you love it with all your heart, soul, and strength, but you live it out by the choices you make and by the emphasis that you put on the things of the Lord. And, and this is so important. The Lord says, The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. Thou shalt call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here am I. Isn't that beautiful? This is what the Lord's saying. If you seek me, and this is how to seek him, if you take away from the, the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, the speaking of vanity, if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually. What blessings the Lord tells us in Isaiah 58. And satisfy thy soul in drought 
and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they shall, uh, that shall be of thee shall build up the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. We're talking about building houses, aren't we? Households. We're not just about us today, but generations to come. If the Lord tarries, there'll be generations who follow after you, who have your DNA, your name. Well, they know what you think about the Lord. Do you ever think about that? I do. I think about my great, great, great grandchildren. And I pray that there's no descendant of Chris Lamb who knows not the Lord. You may say, well, what can you do about that? You won't be here. I can pray. And I can do all that I can to influence this generation that I can see and hold in my lap and take on walks and tell them of the Lord that I love. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach. What a title. Wouldn't you like that title? A repairer of the breach. The restorer of paths to dwell in. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thine own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight. The problem is most people don't. We have to go to church. and It's put in such a negative way by parents. We ought to be like the psalmist. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There we'll sing his praises and since the incense of adoration lifted to the Most High. There will learn of the Savior. There, the gospel will be preached and souls will be regenerated. Oh, parents, have your children under the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, if it pleases the Lord by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe, have them under gospel preaching. Not just at church, not just in something, but where the glories of Christ are preached and expounded and praised and proclaimed. Call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him. Aren't these beautiful words? Not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Thou shalt, then thou shalt delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. For the mouth of the Lord spoken it the Lord's house is the center of our lives and always has been our possessions are his my children are his they're not mine they're on loan to me they are immortal souls that will stand in judgment one day I love Charles Spurgeon's mother on Sunday night she would go over what her husband had preached and she read to her children from the Puritan works about seeking the Lord and his salvation. And Charles Spurgeon, whose brother was a preacher and his whole family served the Lord, not that that's the the indication that they're good people, but I'm just telling you the influence of his mother. She said she would tell her children on the Lord's Day evening after everything was said and done, if you go to hell, 
if in the great day I see the Lord fling your soul into the eternal abyss, I will stand in judgment against you. I have declared to you all the ways of the Lord. I have prayed over your souls and have earnestly sought to lead you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I will have to witness against you. Now that is godly parenting. It may sound very foreign to what the pablum of this world has today. But we give our lives over to him. His word is precious. And and the deciding factor in all that we do is what saith the Lord. Verse 2 tells us the results of the Lord's way being left out. Sorrow, sleepless nights. Can I just say here, and this is a maybe a precarious place to end. There's never a good way to end a message like this. Can I just, and I told you I was going to be very pastoral, okay? Is that all right with you? Whether it is or not, I'm going to be. Don't let Hollywood raise your children. Please, 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 please. Don't let Disney provide them their philosophy of life. Don't let their peers be their guide. Most of the time, peers have more influence than parents. And they should have peers, and they will have peers. But don't let their peers set the standard of how they do and what they do. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early. So many of us do to provide a living and to do all that we do. To sit up late. To eat the bread of sorrows. So he giveth his beloved sleep. We have a precept and a proposition. And we're going to discuss the privilege and the picture and the promise. I don't like part two sermons, but This is where we'll end this evening. Now, Lord, this is your word, and we praise you for it. I pray that you would take what has been said tonight and use it for the glory of our Savior. You know my heart, Lord, as the pastor of this beloved church. I beg you to do your work in all of our families. Make us strong families. May we pray for one another, Lord, and bear one another's burdens. We pray for all of our young people. We pray for... In the prayer meeting tonight, as we were praying for our college students, we we beg you, Lord, to keep their hearts turned toward you. May we not sin against them in ceasing to pray for them. May we do our part. And While some may not have children, their children are grown or far away, I, I pray that they would adopt these kids and adopt grandchildren who are nearby and pour out love and affection and, and godly example. Lord, may we be a loving family church. Not in a syrupy way, but Lord, in a true godly love and an interest in the eternal souls of these young people and our, all of our people, Lord. Build up every family. May they be strong and in the Lord. Lord, we pour out our hearts to you tonight. We ask you to do what you alone can do. Your arm is not shortened that it cannot save, nor your ear heavy that it cannot hear. And so we cry to you. And we give you praise and thanks and glory ahead of time for what you are doing and what you're going to do in Jesus' precious name.